Thank you, gents. I'll pray about it. Since this is mostly a prayer meeting today, I will pray about whether I will call you up again. That's what he was asking me, by the way. You're not going to make me come up again, are you? Good morning, brothers and sisters. My sermon is three minutes long. You know that isn't true. Um, Michael, did we cover everything? I think we did. Did you guys pay attention to the worship this morning? It was really God word, especially. And um, I, I forgot when I came up here to say, why don't you just kind of hold that thought and don't lose track of it. The idea of looking upward toward God and his great goodness. And um, today's message is um, what's left of Titus. You ever have leftovers? Well, that's what you're getting today. And uh, what it is, is I've had some thoughts that I just couldn't shake and get around. And that was uh, that there's these statements of authority. And so I've called it the ministry of authority. You'll notice the asterisk. Whenever there's an asterisk, it's because I stole the title from somewhere. Where I stole it from is a subchapter title in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. The ministry of authority. What is it talking about? And so my apologies to Dietrich. And, uh, but there'll be, a, it'll almost feel maybe, I hope it doesn't seem too rambling, but just some things that I want to say. Um, and Tim, you were a perfect illustration this morning because I want to say to you, you're looking at probably, if you're going to follow this call, a life of ministry. Am I right? Are you sure about this? Are you sure you want to do it? Well, I, I called um, brother um, Mr. Falk, who is our gym teacher here, because I was trying to find a balance beam. They used to have a balance beam in the school gym. Somebody threw it away. Why do they always throw away the best stuff? But anyway, so I thought of a different picture that would work. You know, my wife and I met working with physically limited children. It was a wonderful experience. And um, some of these guys were so good at using these things, they were able to balance up on the back wheel. Can you imagine? Anybody want to come try it? It can't be done. It's a balancing act, isn't it? And the reason I, I use that as a visual, you'll find out later whether I can do it or not. It's a visual because it's kind of like walking a tightrope sometimes in ministry. I think it's always been that way, but I think it's even worse today in terms of the walking on the edge of a razor blade, if you will, trying to do it right. And I'm, you know, I don't know if you're aware of the statistics, men in ministry are quitting left and right. They're giving up on it. It's like, what's the use? It's particularly so in American Christianity circles, if you will. But the issue of authority and, and spiritual authority in the church, there'll be more about this in the book of Hebrews, which we're going to do next. So I'm just going to highlight some things. So if you're a note taker, you have in your bulletin some points that I want to walk through. I hope some of you are note takers. And especially today, you'll notice number two, counsel to saints. That's you. Hello? That's you. Counsel to the saints, right? That's you. And then there's counsel to spiritual leaders, or can I put it this way? Spiritual leaders slash aspirers. 
those who may be aspiring, and I suspect that as I've been interacting with people uh, over the last month especially, there may be some folks, young people, whatever, aspiring to, min to ministry, you know, as a job, vocational. So if that's true, I want to be able to speak life to them if I can. So the ministry of authority and spiritual authority, the, uh, we, we hate authority, don't we? Our culture since the 70s has cast off all. Every, every authority is wrong. I heard when I came here from the previous pastor, you're wearing a tie, you're out. You know, because this represents... No, by the way, I'm going to stop wearing a tie. Okay? Is that all right with you guys? You don't care. They can't make up their minds. That's a problem. <laughs> the ministry of authority. Is there authority? Well, look at these verses. If, this, is, this came out of Titus, the very first one. Titus 2.15, what? These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Speaking to a young pastor, interesting words. Well, the word speak is simply speak, so that's not anything deep. But here's two words here, exhort and reprove. Exhort and reprove. The word exhort is the Greek word parakaleo, which is the same root that's uh, same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit for the Christian? He's the comforter. It came from a legal term. When you had to face something in court, you'd get an advocate, lawyer, who would go with you, right? He'd present your defense. He would go to bat for you. He's the comforter. He's the supporter. So the word parakaleo means to exhort, to encourage, to challenge, sometimes prod. How's that? I'll say it nice, that kind of a thing. It's a reproving sometimes. And then the second word, but it is an encouragement. The, we have a song. There was an old song in your hymn book, The Comforter Has Come. Remember that? Anybody remember that? Comforter Has Come. Everybody with me so far? Got, it got real quiet in here. You guys all right? Okay, just check. Okay, so the comforter. There's exhortation and reproof. Comfort, correct, exhort, entreat, instruct, urge. The second word is rebuke. Sometimes you just have to say, you see what you just did? That's wrong. You see? What, did you see what? That's wrong. You ever had to say that to your kids? You know what I mean. That that's wrong. And, and if you keep, no, anyway, that's wrong. You have to correct, you have to confront, you have to call it out. You ever hear that expression? Some churches talk that way. I'm going to call it out of you. I'm going to call you up, call you up. It's a good thing, isn't it, when you get called up, when you get challenged, when you get stretched. And then you have more words. So you have this, let no one disregard you. Wow. Back in Titus chapter 3, Verse 8, the first part of the verse, this is a trustworthy statement. By the way, that's following a statement of the gospel. Christ save us, blah, 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 blah. This is a trustworthy statement that we live godly because we've been changed. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Let's look at another version, the New Jerusalem Bible. I like the translation sometimes. It really says it. This is doctrine you can rely on. I want you to be quite uncompromising in teaching all this. So Paul is speaking to Titus and saying, put your foot down where it counts, that there is authority. 
In fact, there is, I, this, I hope this isn't news to us, there is authority in the universe, like it or not. Some of my, I passed on Tales of the Kingdom, if you've never read it. There is a king. The expression we use when we toast the king, you know, when we do that at communion, that came out of Karen Burton Maines' book, Tales of the Kingdom, that there is a king. Even though the enchanter of the world has deceived everybody and said there's no such thing as a king, there really is. Doesn't that, doesn't that resonate? I mean, that's the world we're living in. But there is a king. There is a king. And there is spiritual authority in the universe. And there's authority in countries. And there's authority in families. There's authority in the animal kingdom. And there's authority in churches as well. Uh Uh-oh. Pastor John's working up to leading a cult. Who's laughing over there? Anyway. This book is dated, like I was saying, 1975, Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing Company. I had to read this. This is an old book. It's a classic. The Elders of the Church by Lawrence Ayers. Let me just read this. The submission due to elders. In in any society of free men, the rule of law is only possible as long as the vast majority of its members are habitually law-abiding. Duh. Just try to go through traffic lights. You'll see what that means. When respect for authority breaks down, I'm sure glad that hasn't happened, to the extent that larger and larger numbers defy existing rule, and only re- the only remaining alternative to anarchy is a police state. I mean, this is common sense philosophy. Everybody should know this, right? Except making application. The only remaining alternative is anarchy, to anarchy is a police state. And when this state of affairs prevails, men are no longer free. The same is true in the church. All those received as communicant members of a Presbyterian church must take this or a similar vow. Do you agree to submit in the Lord to the government of this church and in case you should be found delinquent in doctrinal life to heed its discipline? We did not hand those little sign-ups out for our new members. We didn't do that. But it's implied, is it not? Not that we want to rule over every... We don't want to tell you what kind of car to buy. We don't want to tell you what kind of music to listen to. And all. We want to keep you on the path to holiness. That's our job. But, so when, I'm, when we're trying to do that, the right response to that is the right thing to do. And rebellion against it will have an opinion from Jesus and we're all going to go see him one day. Either as a friend or not. So, you have to have it, otherwise you have chaos. So, here's the dilemma. And that's my first point. It's a dilemma. I find it to be a dilemma, don't you? Think of the chaos out there, even in churches. This is not putting one church above another by any means. Don't anybody misunderstand, because what I'm about to speak about has happened in every denomination and Baptist churches especially, but look at the conflict in the paper every week that's going on with the Catholic Church, what Pope Francis has to deal with, with the uh, problem of uh, sexual molestation, correct? I mean, it's a nightmare. It's a balancing act because 
on the one hand, you, you have too much power given, people are living under intimidation, and then they end up being taken advantage of or abused in some way. And it doesn't always have to be that scandalous. It can be a lot more mild. People get punished, if you will, for the wrong things in local assemblies. And so people are like, why do I want to be part of this? Spiritual neglect, questionable integrity on the part of leaders who seem to be preoccupied with padding their own experience rather than caring for the flock. No wonder people give up and say, what's the use? No wonder out there there's whole categories of people who are called the nuns and then the others that are the duns. Everybody know what I'm talking about? The nuns. What's your religious background? None. The duns. Oh, I used to go, but I'm done. <laughs> I understand people being done. It's hard for me to get ticked off at them. It really is. I understand it. It's like we had this experience. We went to another church. We had this experience. We went to another one. Had this experience. Getting used, taken advantage of, told to shut up. And so people rebel. They become disillusioned. They give it up. They have disregard for it. Can you imagine in our culture today trying to tell somebody no? Well, who do you think you are? <clears throat> so I've got a little, um, I, I went look. I have a book buried upstairs in my messed up library. It's not even a library. It's just a pile of books uh, called spiritual, the, the Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse by David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonder. And I'm not recommending it per se, because they got themselves into trouble, too. Don't you love it? But anyway, but the principle was this. I want to put this definition. A broad definition of spiritual abuse, which happens in churches, is the mistreatment of a person who's in need of help, support, or greater spiritual empowerment. That's who we are as saints, right? We're sheep. Anybody here a sheep? I am. Yeah, exactly. I am. We're all in need of help somewhere along the line, right? We're all in need of development and growth. Nobody's arrived. Oh, who's arrived here? Chicken. I don't want to say. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you after if you had arrived because you haven't, right? We haven't. So we're in need of help, support, greater spiritual empowerment. But the result of their coming to spiritual leaders is weakening, undermining, or decreasing that person's spiritual empowerment. We pull the rug out from under them. We defeat him more. A woman who's been abused in a terrible relationship with her husband, and the preacher says, well, you just need to pray more and be more submissive to win him around. You, you got it upside down. Do you know how many thousands of times that has happened? So that's what they're talking about. Not the pastor didn't smile at me today. I could have just been hurt. Anyway, I do get some of that. Anyway. A leader uses his or her spiritual position, these are examples, to control or dominate another person. Or spirituality is used to make others live up to a spiritual standard. The people who live up to it like, I'm just going to meddle, okay? Can I meddle? Who's going to stop? Anyway, so I'm in the Christian school circle. You're not. We're spiritual. You're not. I've got my kids as witnesses for Christ out in the world. We're spiritual. You're not. You understand? Both are wrong. But we put that kind of heat. And that's just one example. Go through a litany of 
what, my, what uh, John Artberg calls boundary markers, little boundary markers. These are our boundary markers. These are good Christians. These are the bad Christians. What are you laughing at, Don? You right? Am I right? You know I'm right. Okay, so that's what they're talking about. And get this. This is one of my favorite. Everybody listening up back there? Everybody listening? Okay. One of the rules of a spiritually abusive system is the can't talk rule. Oh, boy, I heard that. A person who speaks out loud about a problem becomes the problem. Oh, well, you're the problem. No, I'm not the problem. I'm saying there is a problem. But most of those people get abused, and so consequently, they're done. They just give up rather than fighting the system. An abusive system is a closed and paranoid system toward the outside, and it's secretive about what goes on on the inside. I've tried to say from the time I got here, the best thing you can ever do as a Christian if you screw up is admit it. Churches should admit it. Oh, we have to protect the Lord's um, name. We've got to protect his reputation. You've already screwed up his reputation. Admit it. As one great... Well, he was good at one time. He's had issues, but he made a great statement. I won't say who it was. I'm not saying who it was. When we confess our sins, then the Lord does not get blamed for the consequences. If we come clean and say we're wrong, then people can't say, oh, that's the God that they said. No, that's not the God. That's the stupid Christian that blew it. That's what that is. You did that. Then he doesn't get blamed for the consequences. Okay. I am preaching, aren't I? I thought I was just going to go through this few points here. Okay, so the nuns, the duns, whatever. <clears throat> I've been encouraged, as I said about um, four weeks back or three weeks back, about um, cataloging. Some are stuck. Some are the little flock. We want to move forward. We want to invest in that. We want to look into the future. And I do want to invest for your future. But I've wondered sometimes what has been communicated in the last, I don't know, couple decades. What have we gotten? When I hear things like, and, and by the way, I've heard this from the school on occasion where we have kids from different churches where the response to this is right or this is wrong or this is what it's supposed to be is, my pastor said so? Really? Okay. Or how are we going to find God without pastor so-and-so? How will we know him? Do you understand how unhealthy that is? So let me read from a very godly brother, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, along that line. And what happens with that is people become what I call groupies. You've heard me mention it before. Uh, we, we attach to some great TV preacher, and everything he says and all of his tapes are my new Bible. Whatever it says is true. And that pastor that, you know, you're visiting my church, and, well, you're not saying what so-and-so is saying. It's, yeah, that's right, I'm not. Well, then you're wrong. No, you need to move to California and be part of his church. See how that works out for you, by the way. So, so let me read this. The Ministry of Authority. This is the chapter from which I got uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's title. Every cult of personality that emphasizes the distinguished qualities, virtues, and talents of another person, even though these be of an altogether spiritual nature, is worldly and has no place in the Christian community. Indeed, it poisons the Christian community. 
ultimately, this hankering for false authority has as its root a desire to reestablish some sort of intimacy, a dependence upon human beings in the church. See, I got it tangible. Now, I know right now some of us are wondering, where are we going with this? You don't want us to listen to you? Of course I do. Here's the point, though. We become groupies or we have a cult of personality. It can be preachers. It can be songwriters, worship leaders. Fill in the blanks. It's their way. What does God have in mind? You were called to be attached to the head, not to the person. What are we going to do without pastor so-and-so? You're going to have to seek God until he shows up. That's what you're going to have to do. Does anybody remember a guy named Moses? He's a big name, big name guy. What happened to the Jewish community? Eventually, it became a cult of Moses, right? That was some of the trouble. They were loyal to all his little, and they thought they had it, right? They they didn't. Same thing. Back when Moses was taking the children through the, the, the wilderness and children of Israel, they were heading for the promised land. Do you remember there was an event one time where the Holy Spirit... In the Old Testament? Yeah. The Holy Spirit came down on a bunch of elders in the camp. Does anybody remember that story? Not too many. I can tell by the look on your faces. But the Spirit came down, and a group of elders, a hundred and some odd, were prophesied. Seventy? Thank you. Domo arigato gozaimasu. Excellent. Thank you, brother. Seventy-two elders are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, who is Moses' right-hand guy, it's like, my Lord Moses, tell them to stop. Tell, they're, they're, they're prophesying. Tell them to stop. You know what Moses said? Are you jealous for me, Joshua? Are you worried? Would that all of God's people were prophesying. Would that all of God's people were prophets. Not trumped up fully yourself. Prophets, the Spirit of God on them. Would that it was, and guess what? God planned that for the church. We are connected to the head. That's what the goal is. My goal is to make you more in tune with Christ walking in holiness, enjoying the life of the Spirit. If you go way beyond me, thank you, Jesus. Please do. So that's what you want. Leadership abhors a vacuum. As I've said before, if you don't get the right leaders, the wrong ones will fill it in. Can guarantee it. And it's all over the church in America. It really is. And I'm not condemning other good... I mean, i got brothers in this area. I love them and their churches, and I want them to prosper so much. And I'm glad that they are, some of them. But there's also a lot of upside-down wrong thinking. Remember when Mike Banton was here, our missionary, a few weeks back? Anybody remember a few weeks back? Mike, please, Mike Banton was here. He quoted from one of my favorite books, Philippians, and here's what he said. You remember this verse? I have, Paul is saying, I am sending Timothy because I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. 
Wow, is that a statement? Authenticity in serving Christ is what brings moral authority. You have a problem, and this is why we're walking on a razor's edge. It's a, a balancing act. Too much power or exercising too much authority or too little. Both are a problem. A lack of it, a lack of direction, a lack of rebuke and correction, as Paul said to Titus, insist on certain things. So here's my counsel to saints. One, find a heart after God and follow. If somebody has a heart after God, if I don't, in your opinion, go somewhere else, please. I, that's not an insult. I'm not trying to be insulted. I'm not trying to be rude. I didn't mean to sound. Did I sound rude? Go somewhere else. <laughs> no, what I mean, you don't like my restaurant. It's a better one down the street. You see what I'm saying? If, if, if I don't, if you don't, and I've, tr- I've tried to communicate, if you don't have confidence in the spiritual authenticity of the leader of a church, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and him a disservice by signing up. Okay? And that's what you want to look for in the future. Those who have a genuine concern for the interests of the saints, the building up of the saints. That's my counsel. Find a heart after God. And by the way, when it comes to, like, I can't know God without a person, that's wrong. May, the, may they all become prophets. Look at the Bereans. I, I love this verse. You remember the uh, book of Acts, Paul's preaching. In some places, he gets stoned and beat up and everything else. He goes to Berea. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with great igno- e- ignorance, with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That's what we should do. Wow, Hawke said a weird thing today. You know, by the way, if it's my opinion, I'll tell you. This is my opinion. I'm not ready to die for this. This is what the word of God says. I will die for that. Search it out for yourself. God has never asked us to check our brains at the door. I don't know where people get that blind faith craziness. It's not biblical. Spiritual authority. Pastors once were the most educated people in a community. Therefore, they were looked to for all kinds of things. These days, they're mostly despised, I think. It's difficult to build a church. The New Testament, there was one place. You either worked out your issues or you didn't have a church. You didn't have 75 choices like you do today. It's hard. Tim, it's hard work. Are you sure about this? I do think about it. I, can, I, can I make a confession? Yeah, you like it when I confess, right? And we can hold that again. <laughs> oh, my. I have so many good things, but I'm running out of time. So I'll tell you what. I'll try to save some of it. There are times I'm looking at my horizon, my age and my horizon, and I'm like, I'm really glad I'm out of this soon. It's stinking hard. You sure you're up for it? We need grace. It's like a balancing act. It really is. To rightly lead the flock, get your own crud. I was going to use my more common spiritual word. Get your own crud out of the way. Your heart, your wrong heart thinking, and really want Christ's glory and his good for the people. It's hard. And then the world, and sometimes even the church, doesn't cooperate like assessing 
I'll skip over that. The scripture tells us that there are church splits in every church. Remember when I said that one time? Well, church, I was going to title my sermon, Church Split. Everybody come and hear that one. Ooh, I want to hear that. We all have a church split. There's the carnal and the spiritual, always. The stuck, molding, corroding, the frozen chosen. Remember those? And the, and the, and the hungry little flock of disciples. Every church's got it. Spiritual leadership has the assignment of coaching that flock and helping them move forward. There is right and wrong. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. There's a difference between forgiveness and restoration. I thought about that with some of these TV pastors who have fallen into scandalous sin, and then they insist on their rights to be back in the saddle, and it's like you have no business. If you cheated in your marriage, forgiveness is one thing. Restoration and sleeping together is a whole other issue. Those are two different things. Restoration to leadership is a razor edge. Things that we... Who's going to coach you with that? You need to have spiritual... That's why we have godly leadership, to help sort that out. People get played, you know what I mean? The emotions today, we get played. Oh, but but, but we're supposed to be loving and forgiving. I am loving and forgiving. I do forgive you. You're not leading. Stop. So when they're good, support your local sheriff. Remember those days? Remember that? <laughs> that old time? I have this book, Richard Baxter, the Reformed Pastor. He's, he's, he's preaching to preachers, and every preacher that's worth his salt will let himself be preached at and will wrestle through what's broken in his own life. But in the opening chapter, he knew, one of the opening chapters, he knew that lay people were likely to get their hands on one of these books and, ooh, that, our pastor doesn't do this and he doesn't do it. So he makes this little comment in here. He says, you know that they are men and not angels that God has put in offices as church guides. You know that we are imperfect men. Hmm? See, therefore, that you love and imitate the holiness of your pastors, but do not look for opportunities to slight them or disgrace them for their weaknesses. I warn you, as you love your souls, keep close to Scripture and to the faithful ministry of the Word. Brethren, let me speak freely to you. The ungrateful contempt of a faithful ministry is the shame of this land. That's 400 years old. Wow. The ungrateful contempt of a faithful ministry is the shame of this land. My last advice to you is this. See that you obey your faithful teachers. Take heed. Be be thankful for them. Go to them when they desire to help you. Do not be so proud as to think you are your own spiritual directors. We all need coaching at times. I need it. I go after brothers that speak into my life. Hey, am I crazy here? And sometimes I hear... Yeah, actually, you kind of are. (laughs) Why don't you just drop that? All right. Okay. There we go. So here's where I wanted to go. I'm going to sum this up. Counsel to spiritual leaders, potential spiritual leaders, aspiring people. Your motivation better not be like I saw guys at the 
at the placement desk at, after seminary, we got our degrees, and I was, I'd, I'd overhear people talking, well, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. I, I want to be in the Rockies, you know. I, I want to be over where I can ski. I'm not going to any church unless I make at least this much money. I'm overhearing that. I'm going, what does God have to do with this? There are people today who think the ministry is kind of a nice, nice job. Whee! That's not the reason. It's not power. It's not pulpit lust. There is such a thing. When I got saved and I heard authoritative preaching, I'll tell you what hit me was the incredible weight and glory of standing in the gap between God and man. It was like a meltdown. And the account I wanted to bring you to, which I'm going to bypass, is in, in uh, chapter 33 of Exodus. You all know this guy, Moses. The way you giggled, I know you know his story. He's called. He turns aside to see the burning bush. He immediately is transformed. Take your shoes off your feet. He's worshiping the Lord, and he says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and he deals with all his fears. Pharaoh? That guy was out to kill me. Second, I don't talk real good. Third, to the people of Israel, last time I tried to rescue them, they wanted to turn me into the authorities. They're incorrigible. Anybody ever notice that about them? That's the story. Are you sure? God says, I'm going to take care of it. You follow me. In Exodus 33, he's having a meeting with God, and he said, if I found favor in your sight, let me know thy ways. This is after all he had experienced. He's coming to God and saying, let me know thy ways, that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. In other words, I need to know more about you to do the job, just like Solomon said. Better that I have wisdom than riches. I need to know how to lead your great people. And by the way, don't forget, these are your people. Help me out here. Moses says, after all that conversation, okay, I pray thee, what? Show me thy glory. What do you need as a saint? You need to see his glory. It's transformational. There's a Hebrews text. You can read it on your own. It's the summation of Moses' life. But let me skip to the last one, Ryan, if I could. Exodus 33, 11. Here's a great statement. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Wow. There was a call on his life. God was just here. The, the cloud came down on the tent. Moses is talking to God. He comes out, his face is glowing. You remember? And Joshua was like, Moses going home to go night-night. I'm staying right here. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss. Is there more to learn? Is there more glory to see? Am I an ignorant jerk? I need to learn a whole bunch of stuff. I got saved, and my counselor, my, my early discipler, was a seventh guy ordained at 72 years of age. 
who knew the work of the Spirit, who literally had these remarkable Bible-type, miraculous-type things. And I would, I would mooch lunch off of him on a regular basis. They never, hey, I'm here again. Make him a sandwich, honey. And I just wanted to suck in as much as I could possibly get my hands on. There may be people in this room today that the Holy Spirit's striving with that I have a more glorious call on your life than you've been thinking about. Oh, and it's a rotten job to do. It's a razor-edged thing. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon speaking to his son. <clears throat> Sorry. I should not like you if meant by God to be a missionary to die a millionaire. I should not like it were you fitted to be a missionary that you should drivel down to a king. Did you get that? Drivel down to a king. What are all your kings, all your nobles, all your diadems when you put them together compared with the dignity of winning souls to Christ? With the special honor of building for Christ, not on another man's foundation, but preaching Christ's gospel even in regions far beyond. What really matters? If the Spirit's talking to you, I'm going to encourage you to come up. You don't have to commit to anything. I just want to pray for you at the end of the service, and maybe the elders will join me and Pastor Tim, if you're still in. Can it even be done? That crazy balancing act? Is it possible, my friends? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah, it is. It is. It can be done. It can be done. Oh, stop applauding. It can be done. By the grace of God, it can. Let's stand together. And if you need to pray about that, I'm inviting you. I want to thank you for helping us today, God, in worship. I believe we had a little taste of your glory. And, uh, Lord, there are some people here that need to have a huge swallowing of your glory. And your calling. Help us in the name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. God bless. Have a great day.